Well, it's very exciting to be here and uh, once again to be worshiping together with you. I'm going to encourage you to come next week. We're going to be have uh, Pastor Maddie is going to be preaching the Word of God next week. And we're just going to kind of make an announcement and talk to you about what's going on with Bonacord. And uh, just for, for all of you to know what's happening there. So I'll be clarifying all that next week when Pastor Maddie's speaking here. So God bless you. Make sure you come again next week and let uh, everyone know that Pastor Maddie's going to be speaking. By virtue of his accent, he's cool. And uh, we just love to hear him. Love to hear him every week. Amen? Cracky, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no, I won't do my Australian. Now they taped the floor. They put limitations on me, boundaries, and something in my spirit is saying this is wrong. Jesus does not approve of this, so I might not stay within the limits, but I'm going to try very hard to honor our camera team so they're not chasing me around. Amen. So we are preaching from Psalm 32. We're a summer in the Psalms. We've been talking about different Psalms, and Psalm 32 is one of my favorite Psalms. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story about it. Uh, there was a time in my life when I was in Fort McMurray, when I was a new believer, and the Holy Spirit had me go to Psalm 32, and I stayed there for about, oh, there's an Australian guy right there. He's here. Amen. So that's good. Um, thank God I didn't try the accent. Uh, so Psalm 32, I, 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 I was, you know, kind of doing my daily devotions, and the Holy Spirit kept bringing me back to Psalm 32. And I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but I actually I couldn't read any other portions of Scripture. And for about six weeks every day, I just stayed in this Psalm. And I meditated on it, and I read it in every translation I could find, and I prayed about it. And I was like, Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you teaching me? And really, Psalm 32 is, deals with one of the great key issues of life. I think it actually is the key issue of life Psalm 32 teaches us how to deal with a thing called sin. It's really what it's about. You see, when we understand that the essence of the Old Testament church, do you know the entire essence of the Old Testament is the price of sin? This is what, the, you know, what sin has brought into the world, the, the devastation that sin brings, the, the incredible cost of sin in our lives, in nations, in the world. And so when you, you, you read the Old Testament, you're saying, man, there's so much mayhem and so many things happen and terrible things. It's talking about the cost of sin. It really lays it out. There's entire books and teachings kind of putting it out there. And then the New Testament, when it deals with sin, is really God's solution to sin. In the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, in dying upon a cross to pay the price for sin. And so do you understand how to deal with sin is kind of an important subject for all of us to understand. So Psalm 32 is really talking about that. The title of the psalm is a psalm by David, and that says a maskil, a maskil. And that word maskil means this, instruction or teaching. So this psalm is teaching us on the issue of sin. How to deal with sin. You see, sin is a great problem in our life. And we know that sin, um, what is sin? Uh, you know, the, probably the simplest and easiest definition of sin that I can think of 
is sin is when we are self-centered rather than God-centered. And so the results that come in our life, when we say, I'm going to rule my own life, I'm going to lead my own life, I'm at the center of my life, I'm going to drive this life, the result is a thing called sin. And it's one of the greatest problems in our life. In fact, the Bible says, he who claims to be without sin is a liar. (laughs) And the word of God has no place in that life. And so this is an important issue as we talk about sin and what the psalm lays out as God's solution. We're going to find out today that through Christ we come covered if we're willing to allow him to cover us if we will but come clean on this issue of sin and that through Christ we can then come close to God. Well, let's pray and see what the Holy Spirit says to us. So, Father, thank you for the beautiful people that you've gathered here today. Thank you, Jesus, that you love them, that you are for them, that you are not against them, that you have made a way for them to come to you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will give us eyes to see today, ears to hear, hearts to receive and to respond to you because we need you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the psalm starts with David, this mascal, this teaching on how God deals with this thing on sin, and he talks about that we come to God covered. Let's read about it in Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. The Amplified Bible puts it this way in that first verse, happy, fortunate, to be envied is the one who has forgiveness of his transgressions continually exercised upon him whose sin is covered. See, the covering of sin is no small issue, amen? It's not a small thing. And David starts this psalm in this incredible uh, language of celebration. Blessed is the man, to be envied. Incredible to think that God has covered us, covered our lives, and covered us from this thing called sin. Again, sin, as I said, is when we become self-centered rather than God-centered, and it the results come about in different ways. And I want you to understand that you can be self-centered in two distinct ways. And as a matter of fact, what we're going to find out today is that the two times that this text is actually repeated in the Bible, this is the first times it's talked about in Psalm 32, but do you know that this text is quoted verbatim in, in Romans chapter 4? And the two times basically illustrate for us the self, this, this self kind of sin issue that people are dealing with. And really, it's two things. Here's the first thing. It's really about selfishness. And how many of you know selfishness can lead you down a road of incredible uh, disconnection from God and from other people? But also, there's another form of self that we're going to talk about when we get to Romans, and that's self-righteousness where I say, I really don't need God. I can do this on my own. I can live my life without God, and I can achieve all these things, and I can do all these wondrous things with my life. And God says, you know what? Selfishness produces sin, but so does self-righteousness. 
the common ground is what? Self. <laughs> when self is on the throne, when self is on the seat of your life, when, when self is in charge, it produces this problem in the lives of people. Now, in our text in Psalm 32, this psalm is very unique, and I want you to understand God gave us some pretty extreme examples. Uh, this psalm is David's second psalm. It's the, he wrote seven penitential psalms where he was in penance, where he was just lamenting before the Lord. He writes seven of these psalms in the Bible. This is the second of the seven. And it's after he has committed the sin of adultery, the sin of murder, and the sin of deception. And, and so how many of you know he was fairly selfish? <laughs> So in this moment, do you understand this, this proclamation that David is making? He's saying, blessed, fortunate, to be envied is the man whom the Lord will cover his sin. Do you understand? We're going to look at it in a minute. David was incredibly selfish. And he did some things. And here we find that God has forgiven him. You can read about those different psalms. And we're going to look at another one a little bit. Psalm 51 is the first of those penitential psalms. But really the story, if you want to read the story of what happened, you need to turn to 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12. So you can read about it. I'm just going to reiterate it or summarize it for you. What ends up happening in, in 2 Samuel is that David, the Bible says this, at the time when the kings went to war, David stayed home. And so we see David really kind of moving outside of the purpose of God for his life. He's supposed to be, you know, leading the people of God, leading the army, but he decides to stay home, and we begin to see what begins to happen. He kind of relaxes in his life from his calling and his purpose, and, uh, and, and, and it's interesting because he goes up on the top of his roof. I guess he's bored or something. I'm not too sure. He goes up on the top of the roof of the palace, and he looks down, and he sees a beautiful woman bathing, cleansing herself. Because from the palace, he can see into the backyards of people's lives. Now he sees this beautiful woman. And what he does is he sits there for a moment and he kind of looks at her. You're saying, well, that's, that's problematic. Well, probably. But you see, David's a little bit desensitized. I'm going to tell you why he's a bit desensitized. You see, he has five wives. So he, you know, in, at that time he was thinking, well, maybe, you know, this potentially could be another wife for me. Look at how beautiful she is. And so he inquires about her, okay, and then he finds out, no, 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 this woman is already married. In fact, she's married to one of your warriors who is fighting the war that you should have been fighting. Now, at that point, David should have said, well, you know what? God bless her. Uh, Lord, forgive me for lusting after her, for looking at her the way I did, leering after her. But what does he do? He sends for her. He gets one of his servants to go and get this woman, brings this woman to his palace, and he sleeps with her. He commits the sin of adultery. Then he gets word a few weeks later, from this lady, her name is Bathsheba, I am pregnant. Now, why is this a problem? Her husband's been at war for several months. <laughs> and so he's not been present. And so David's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? 
So he's moving down this road. You understand he, his self-centeredness, his selfishness. He's, he's desensitized. He's relaxed. He gets fixated on this woman that he should never have been fixated on. And you see a pattern of sin beginning to unfold here. And then from fixation, he moves to rationalization. Well, you know, I'm the king. I, I, I should be able to have who I want and do what I want. And, and by the way, I have four other wives anyway, so I might as well have this one as well. Like, he, he, we don't know what he's going on in his mind, but have you ever lived in rationalization? How many of you know that sin is your best friend before you bite the apple. It just seems like, oh, this is what I need. This, you know, God loves me and God wants me to feel this and I want to have this. Oh, this is so wonderful. Of course, why would God let me see this beautiful woman if he didn't want me to have her? And he's rationalizing and I think we do that too, won't we, when we're dealing with the sin issues in our life. We can rationalize and then he moves into this area of incredible degeneration. From rationalization to degeneration, and this is what he does. The man's name is Uriah that's married to this woman, Bathsheba. So he calls Uriah back from the front line. And he, he inquires about the war. And uh, he commands him to go home and to get cleaned up. Gets him a little bit drunk. And says, go home and clean up. And, uh, you know, and then we'll talk again. So, but Uriah being a man of integrity says, I, I'm not going to go home. All the men are fighting the war. I'm not going to go home and enjoy the pleasures of home, pleasures of my wife. I'm going to sleep. And he falls asleep and he lays down on the palace doorstep and he won't go home. So David's fr freaking out now. He's like, oh, what am I going to do? So he gets him loaded drunk the next day. He says, stay another day. Gets him loaded drunk thinking for sure he'll go home now. And then, I, you know, this whole thing can kind of, he'll, he'll go home and be with his wife, then they won't know what I've done. But Uriah is a man of integrity, and he won't do it. He sleeps again on the doorstep of the palace. Now, David, a man after God's own heart, the next thing he does is unbelievable. He writes a letter to the king's commander, to his commander, and gives it to Uriah to carry, and it basically says... Send Uriah to the front line when the fighting, where the fighting is fiercest and then pull back from him so that he is killed. So he does. The, can you imagine? Uriah delivers this note from David to the king's commander. The commander reads it, looks at Uriah, takes the note, puts it away, sends Uriah to the front line, pulls the army back so Uriah and several other men are killed. Wow. David thinks, great. No one's going to know. They're all going to think he went home to be with his wife. They're going to think that this baby, because she's pregnant, remember. And then a few, few weeks later, after the grieving time is over, he calls Bathsheba to come to his house, marries her, makes her his wife. He thinks everything's good. A year later, she's now been pregnant. She's given birth to this baby. A year later, David thinks, I got away with it. But he didn't. Nathan the prophet comes to him, and you can read about the story. He talks about, he brings this conviction to David. David, there's this man, he had one sheep, and this wealthy man came who had many sheep, and he came into his house, and he took his one sheep, even though he had all these other sheep, and David is furious, where is this man? I'm going to deal with him. And then the prophet Nathan says to David, you are that man. And this is probably one of the most heart-wrenching scriptures in the Bible, found in 2 Samuel. 
This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you as king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all of Israel and Judah. If that had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing this evil in his eyes? Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Then David said to the prophet Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. This is the context <laughs> of David writing Psalm 32. Are you following me? He's saying, blessed, fortunate, to be envied is the man whom the Lord will not count his sin against him. Do you understand what he has done? He is deserving of death. He is deserving of all these terrible things. And you're thinking, well, that doesn't seem very fair, Pastor Greg. How could God forgive him of that much stuff? Look at the devastation he caused. And I understand that. But get this, don't, don't miss this point. Just because God forgave him of his sin doesn't mean the consequences of his sin did not follow him. And as you read David's life, four of his sons die as a result of David's sin. First, the baby that was born to Bathsheba dies. Then his son Amnon, he is killed by his other son Absalom. Absalom then tries to rebel and take over the kingdom. He is killed. Then later, when Solomon is raised up as, as another son of, 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 of David and Bathsheba, then all of a sudden Adonijah, the, the, the fourth son, he tries to take over the kingdom. He's killed. You know, it was a revelation in my life when I realized that God forgave me of all my sins. If I will but come to him, he will forgive me of my sins. But then I started to realize as a new believer, I still reaped what I sowed. And so then I began to see the destructive nature of sin in my own life. Are you following me? And it wasn't just about getting forgiven. Oh, I can go and do this and God will forgive me. That's not the point. The point is that, you know what? We have to get away from sin. We have to be free from sin. This is what God desires and designs for us. You know, I love our building, Psalm 103.12. I mean, it doesn't even make sense. How can God forgive us of this much sin? Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Why do I love it? If you ever look at our building, on the east and on the west of our building is a cross. <laughs> and so this building itself is a symbol <laughs> of what God has done to deal with the issue of sin, that as far as the east is from the west, as far as, as we can remove those things, I think it went the wrong way, west and east, there we go, amen? As far as that, God has removed our sin, church. Hallelujah, what a celebration. What an incredible thing. Like the crosses of our, on our building, selfishness is covered you say, how can God have forgiven that sin? Because grace is so powerful. You think, did God really forgive David for all that chaos and disorder and brokenness? Can I go on and tell you this? Sorry, this blows my mind. 
So David marries Bathsheba, a woman he should have never been with. She has a second child. His name is Solomon. Why is Solomon unique? Well, not only is Solomon, of course, the writer of Proverbs, right? But how many of you know Solomon is the great, 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 14 generations grandfather of Jesus? In the lineage of Solomon, who should have never been born because of sin, Christ's forgiveness is so incredible, is so powerful, is so redemptive, that if we will but come to him, even when we've created devastating messes in our life, that the power of the forgiveness of God is so immense that he can take our mess and our brokenness and redeem it entirely and fully. Isn't God good? So he's dealt with this issue of selfishness. But what about the issue of self-righteousness? You see, the second time this scripture is quoted is found in Romans chapter 4. And in Romans chapter 4, the apostle Paul is speaking and he's talking about Abraham who trusted God. Though he was as good as dead, he trusted God and God produced for him something that was incredible. Let me read it to you. It says this, Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, the man that trusts in God, who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. And then he goes on and reads that, blessed are the man whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whose the Lord will not count sin against him. Now, grasp who Paul is. Paul is making this statement. I want to tell you a little bit about Paul's sin. You can read about it in Philippians chapter 3. Listen to what it says. Verse 5, I was born a true Hebrew of the heritage of Israel as a son of the Jewish man from the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised eight days after my birth. I was raised in the strict tradition of Orthodox Judaism, living a separated and devout life as a Pharisee. Concerning righteousness of the Torah, no one surpassed me. I was without a peer. Furthermore, I fiery... Uh, fiery defended the truth. I was persecuted, the messianic believers, with religious zeal. Then he goes on and says this, yet all of the accomplishments that I once took credit for, I've now forsaken them and I regard them as nothing compared to the delight of experiencing Jesus Christ as my Lord. To truly know him meant getting, letting go of everything from my past and throwing it all, my boasting on the garbage heap. It's all like a pile of manure to me now. So that I may be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus Christ and embrace him as the Lord in all his great greatness. Do you understand there are two different sinners here, guys? One is dealing with the sin of incredible selfishness. And all that selfishness means, I'm in charge of my own life, I'm doing things my own way. And the other one comes and he's incredible. 
nobody is like this apostle Paul. He is so self-righteous. He is so, I've done everything. No one exceeded me. There was none, no one of my peers could do what I could do. I lived the law. I lived perfectly. And he says, I consider it manure. Because <laughs> I found a righteousness that is far greater. I found a peace and I found a life. Hallelujah. You see, God in these two times the scripture is quoted is taking the two extremes of sin, the sin of self-righteousness that thinks I can point at everybody else and I'm better than everybody else and look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm giving it all my all for God. And God says that is not enough. Trust in Christ. Not in yourself. And the incredible selfishness of David and the destructive behavior, but if he will but come clean, God covers him. Which is the second part of teaching us about what to do with sin in our psalm. It says this, David is speaking again. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And then it says, Selah, which means stop, ponder, and consider this. You see, David got away with his sin. But did he? <laughs> did he? No. You see, David knew. And God knew. And David is like, I, I can't get close to God. I can't get close to God. And David, the one who worshiped God, who loved God, suddenly he's separated from the one he loves. The Bible says, oh, I'm, I've, like in the heat of summer, my strength is being sapped from me. Something's wrong in my life. Why? Because I'm disconnected from the source of life. I've allowed sin to lead me, to bring destruction into my life. You see, here's the thing when we sin. You know, when we blow it, <laughs> there's two things that begin to scream at us. We either try to fix it or we try to hide it. <laughs> I can fix this. I, I, I know I screwed up, but I can fix this. I can fix this. And God is saying, no, no, don't try to fix it. Don't try to fix it. Just come clean. Come clean. I, I will cover you if you will but come clean of your sin. You see, one of three responses comes when you and I sin. We have three choices. Here's the first one. It's condemnation. Condemn. <laughs> and that's that, that spirit that says, I'm not worthy to come clean until I fix this. You ever been there? I'm going to try and fix this. And if I fix this, I work hard enough, God will be pleased with me. And if I do more, God will be pleased with me. And if I serve more, God will be pleased with me. And if I give more, God will be pleased with me. God is saying, stop it. <laughs> Your only hope is to come clean. But condemnation tries to get us to hide things, to fix things, to cover things. I remember when I was a kid, my brother and I were Scottish. And uh, that doesn't excuse a whole lot, but there we go. We are, and we used to fight a little bit. And he was the big bully brother. Big, yeah, well, he's here, but he, he needs to repent, but so it's okay. Um, so we got in a little fight one time, and, and he had me cornered in the bathroom and kind of pummeled me a little bit. And I did what a younger brother, smaller brother, weaker brother would do. I grabbed a Lysol can and went at him. And he closed the door of the bathroom 
just as I swung the can. And guess what happened? The Lysol can went through the door. And it was a beautiful wood panel door. My parents had nice doors. And so what did I do? Well, of course what I did was I went in my room and I found a little calendar I got at the dollar store. And I took it off the wall and I pinned it over the hole, off-centered to the side of the bathroom. And then I went to bed and pretended to be sleeping. Then my mom comes home and I can hear her through the bedroom wall. Why is there a calendar on? Oh my gosh! <laughs> Doug had the sense to leave home. I was hiding in the bedroom. How many of you know it's not wise to hide in a cornered place where the animal can be trapped? And my father came and brought correction to the seat of correction. But isn't that our, our kind of what we do? We hide, we cover. We, we, I, I could, no one's going to notice if I put this beautiful calendar up. <laughs> Apparently they do. But that's what we do. See, Psalm 51, which is the first of David's penitential psalms, he says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And that word broken means made weak, or infirm, and contrite means grieved or penitent for sin or for shortcoming. Church, when we are penitent, when we are grieved, when we come to the Lord and we come clean, He can cover us. But listen to me, He cannot cover us if we don't come clean. To see the teaching on sin that this psalm is laying out, it's incredible. He's saying, come clean, don't try to cover. But you don't know how selfish I've been. Do you know how selfish David was? But you don't know how self-righteous, I don't think I need that. And that's the second part. You see, their second response is condemnation, but there's another response to sin, and it's this, pride. Pride says, I don't need to be covered. I think our world is living in this one right now. I have no need to come clean. Are you kidding me? Sin isn't the problem in my life. Pride laughs at the cross of Christ. The Bible says it's foolishness to the selfish. It's a stumbling block to the self-righteous. I don't need the cross. Hallelujah. But you do. You see, I li I, we're living in a world today, church, listen to me. The problem in our world today is not race, it is not color, it is not creed, it is sin. It's sin. And until we get to that point of understanding that, until we get to the point of realizing, I can't point my finger, I can't blame, I can't justify, I can't justify my behavior and say, it's their fault that I'm behaving this way. If John A. MacDonald had been a better man, I would be a better person today. You can't do that. Because John A. MacDonald will stand before God on his own. And you will stand before God on your own. Are you hearing me? We have a sin issue in our world. And Christ has the solution. No one wants to take personal responsibility today. Everybody wants to point a finger. But Jesus is saying, stop pointing fingers. Stop being proud. Turn to me. I will cover you 
if you will but come clean. I was reading this, and I want to read it to you in its entirety. It's just a paragraph, but hang on. Abraham Lincoln called the nation of America to a proclamation. He proclaimed it a day of national humiliation of fasting and prayer. Listen to what he said in the 1800s. This is 1863. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, power, like no other nation has ever grown. We have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand by which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched us and strengthened us. We have vainly imagined in our deceitfulness of our own hearts that these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom or virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we've become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of the redeeming and preserving grace of God. Too proud to pray to the God who made us. Calling the nation to a day of national humiliation, of fasting and prayer. Why? Because if you live in selfishness or self-righteousness, if you live in condemnation or in pride, you cannot be covered by the grace of God. But if you will but come clean, God will justify you. Amen? See, our third response, not condemnation, not pride, but confession. Confession is the agreement of our, set, of our situation with God's assessment of our situation. See, listen to what David says. When I acknowledged my sin to you and said, I will not cover up my iniquity, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. You forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Stop, pause, and consider this. <laughs> when David finally came to his senses after a year of feeling the weight of the separation from God, feeling the weight of sin, and when I confessed my sin, God not only came in, he forgave the guilt of my sin. But how many of you know God not only forgives the guilt of your sin, sometimes he even takes away some of the consequences of your sin. If you will but come clean. Come clean, church. Come clean, nations. Come clean, people. Hallelujah. You see, the difference between condemnation and conviction is this. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See, godly sorrow, the Holy Spirit convicts us. Doug, can you grab me a tissue there, please? The Holy Spirit convicts us, guys, and godly sorrow leads us to the cross. Godly sorrow leads us to the cross. To be able, thanks, bro. To be able to say, you know what, God, I, I, can't, I can't fix this. I can't fix this, God. But I will come to you and you will deal with my sin issues, God. I, I yield to you, Lord God. I need you, Lord God. That's godly sorrow. It leads us to repentance and leads us to life. But worldly sorrow condemns us or makes us proud that we don't need it. Run away from that. Run to God. Because if you will but confess your sin, it's dealt with. Hallelujah. Do you know why the Bible says there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Because Jesus paid the price for sin. And God will never charge to your account what has been charged to his son's account. 
It's called double indemnity. (laughs) If you will but cast your cares, cast your sins, cast those things on Christ, Christ pays the price. And heaven looks at you and says, you are forgiven. You are justified just as if you'd never sinned. I've got you covered. The incredible grace of God, church. The mercy of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Sin is not just being forgiven, but realizing that our sin has been paid for at Calvary when we confess our sin. It's been paid, paid in full. Jesus shouted from the cross, amen? Paid in full. Guys, stop trying to fix yourself. Stop trying to blame. Stop trying to justify. Confess! (laughs) Nothing but grace is waiting for this world if they will but turn to Christ. We are covered through Christ if we come clean to Christ. And the last part to me is the best part. We get to come close now. And this is what the psalm goes on and tells us. It says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you, while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with the songs of deliverance. Selah. Ah. You're my hiding place from myself. (laughs) You're my hiding place from sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I will instruct you, Jesus is speaking now, the Holy Spirit is speaking. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by the bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. You see, if only I could convince people of something. God is actually the least controlling being in the universe. (laughs) He actually sets us free to do whatever we want. Now, we can take that freedom and turn it back toward him and say, I want to serve you and I want to become a servant of the Most High God. I want to live my life with you and for you. And God says, good. But you see, he doesn't want to control you with a bit or a bridal church. He doesn't want you to be a donkey that he's got to drag along. Why are you so stubborn? Why are you refusing to repent? Why are you refusing to come to me and confess your sin? Nothing but grace is waiting for you. And he doesn't want you to be a stallion that runs ahead and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a cliff. It's a cliff, dude. Don't go there. I love it. Ah, No, he doesn't want to have to yank you back, guys. He wants to walk with you in life, and he wants you to know that you can come close to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you can do life with God. Woo! This is the kingdom of God. This is the message of the gospel. It's not just about forgiveness of sin. It's about a relationship with the King of kings, both now and for eternity. Who doesn't want this? The only way you don't want it is you don't understand it. See, all of us are sinners. (laughs) 
The whole world is sin, sinners. But there is a solution to sin. And his name is Jesus. He's made a way. He's paid the price so that you can come covered if you will but come clean. And then he allows you to come close so you can fulfill the call and the purpose on your life, which is to live with God and for God and with his people and for his people and for this world and say, man, we have a message of grace for you. Man, we have a message of grace. Church, you have to lead the way. You must lead the way to the cross for people to see this God who will cover you if you will but come clean and allow you to come close. Amen? May we all be able to say like David, like Paul, blessed, happy, fortunate, and to be envied is he who has been forgiven of his transgressions, continually exercised upon him whose sin is covered. Hallelujah. I was reading a story about this group of people from the citizens of uh, Feldrich, Austria. And what happened was Napoleon's army was coming and they were on the hilltop just above this small town. And it's, it's, uh, it's, on, it's on Easter weekend and the, the, the scouts see all of Napoleon's army has come and they're camping just about a quarter mile or a mile away and they're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? We're going to be destroyed. And now remember, it's Easter Sunday. So they all gather in the church and they say, what do we do? Do we surrender? You know, we don't know what's going to happen if we do that. Do we fight? Like, we're going to be devastated if we do that. And the pastor stands up and he says, you know what, guys? You've been relying on your own strength up to this point. It's time to rely on God. He says, we're going to have church. It's Easter Sunday. It's Resurrection Sunday. We're going to ring the church bells and we're going to celebrate together the great resurrection of our Lord. And we're going to place this in his hands to see what he will do in casting mercy upon us. So the town agrees, that's what we'll do. And what they do is they gathered in the church and they began to ring the church bells. And Napoleon thought the Austrian army had come and they were celebrating the fact that they had been redeemed and saved. And so he took his army that was a quarter mile away and pulled away and left this small town because they had turned to God and they had trusted God. Church, listen to me. Grace doesn't make sense. It's not fair. It's just right and it's good because that's who our God is. Amen? Don't you think our world needs to turn to God now more than ever before? Stop blaming, stop justifying, stop hiding, stop pointing fingers, and just confess your sin to the Lord and watch him redeem you and your situation. Amen? Amen. I think we've got time for a song. Can we do Waymaker? Just because it's so good. Is that okay? But they're going to come now. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads.
Come on, guys. And if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Greg, I, I'm, I've been living in condemnation and guilt for so long. I've been trying to fix my sin. I've been hiding and I, I've been trying to fix it and I've been trying to cover it up. But I just need to confess it right now. And if that is you here today and you're saying, Pastor Greg, I need to confess my sin so that the Lord can cover me. This is a sacred moment for you, an important moment for you. And I want you to do that right now. I just want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come clean. Hallelujah, yes, many hands. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the many people raising their hand right now, Lord. So it's, confession is really simple. <laughs> Let's pray this prayer together out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to pay for my sin. I surrender to you now. Cover me in your grace that I might come close to you. Amen. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, I've been living in a lot of pride, Pastor Greg. I've been, I've been one of those people that has been blaming and pointing fingers. And this is a tough one. This is going to take some sensitivity and some honesty. And uh, maybe you've been one that's kind of been justifying yourself at the expense of someone else. But you need to know that we are all sinners in need of the grace of God. Every single human being. Every nation. Every color every creed, every person is being invited to the cross of Jesus Christ. If that's been you saying, I, you know, I've been, I've been that person, I'm going to give you a chance to say, that's me, Pastor. Would you pray with me? I want to come to Christ. I don't want to live in justification. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Hallelujah. God is good. And if you're here lastly, and you're saying, I need to get things right with God, I, I don't have a relationship with the Lord, but I want a relationship with the Lord. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says, and God is as close as the mention of his name. If you will but confess to Christ your need of him, bring yourself to him and say, help me, Lord. The Bible says you will be saved. If that is you, I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray with me to ask Jesus to come into my life and in my heart? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Church, go forward as those who have been redeemed by the Lord. You are covered by the grace of God. Wow. And it is not a small thing. It is so immense and so intense and so thorough and so complete. When God looks at you, when you come to him, he only sees his son, Jesus. Wow. Run to the cross, amen? Come clean every day, 10 times a day, that you might be covered and you might live close to the Lord. Hallelujah. Go in the grace of God today. Go in the peace of Christ.
pray for the second service as you're driving. Say, Lord, minister by the power of your spirit that people will come clean so that they might come close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give the Lord a